I, uh, I want to come in just with this attitude of that today can be the day of a new beginning. Um, this morning, I, uh, <laughs> I don't know why this happens, but every time I'm going to speak on a Sunday, I barely sleep on Saturday night. So my body wakes me up at 3.20 this morning, which my wife can tell you is an anomaly. Um, so I wake up at 3.20, and I'm just like, oh, I want to go back to bed, but I can't fall back to sleep. I'm awake when my alarm goes off at 5, and I get out of bed, and I'm fine. Ah, you know what? And I haven't had, I've wanted, you can, you can ask my wife, I've wanted to start working out. Like, even just, just at home, like actually doing something in the morning to not become old and creaky and like the tin man. Like, I've wanted, I'm like, I've got to do something, or this could go downhill fast. So... But I, I just haven't had that unction, I haven't had that motivation, I haven't had that drive. So this morning, 5 o'clock, my alarm goes off, and this thought comes to my mind, Ben, you should go into the den and do a workout. Now, I thought it was of the devil at first, but I was like, you know what? <laughs> you know what, there might be some truth to this. So um, I actually went down to the den, first time in months, doing any physical exercise, did some push-ups, sit-ups, started to do jumping jacks, realized that I'm not as small as I need to be in order to not wake up the rest of the house. And so I stopped doing jumping jacks, but did some squats and everything. And um, what's interesting is that after a while, when you haven't worked out, you get tired really fast. <laughs> and then you realize, I need to do this more often. But I felt like God had me do that, and I said yes to it, because it was one of those things where I felt that prophetically it was a starting of something new. The ability of habits that you've been maybe hitting the wall, some perspectives that we've had that maybe we need to push through, some things that we've continued to do that we've wanted to stop doing. I just believe that today is the day of breakthrough. The day, today is the day of new beginnings. Today is the day where those things that you've wanted to achieve, the things that you've wanted to find um, victory in, today's the day. Amen? Cool. So um, we're going to start in the, the book of John, uh, chapter 6. Now, um, for me, I'm not the greatest theologian in the world, and so when everybody talks about the Bible, I like to do this top-down approach that I learned at the financial firm that I worked at before the church. Start at the top, work your way down into the narrow. So we're going to start in the Bible. Bible is a big story of God. Going to the New Testament, that is the story of the birth of Jesus through his disciples and apostles. Now we land in the book of John, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which is the four Gospels. The purpose of John writing, just so that we have some context as we go, is that he was really, really focused on proving that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, and that if we believe in him, that we will, feel, we will find a life in his name. So we approach scripture, we approach the verses in John from that context, that when we read it, the purpose is for us to see Jesus as the Messiah, for us to believe that he's the Son of God, and that we can find life in him. And so as we read this, this is something that we can find life in. So we're going to jump in. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Here we go. It says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the, si the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. So that's our audience our audience is those people that have been seeing Jesus perform miracles and now are following him to the other side of the sea and people are gathering and joining with him. 
It says, Jesus went up to the mountain and there sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes, then he saw a, the large crowd was coming towards him. He said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people can eat? Jesus, he said this to test him, for he knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little piece. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. And you go through, and they sat down. There was 500 of them counting, and they sat down in groups. And the, um, he, basically the loaves and the, um, the fish were given to Jesus. He gave thanks. Then they were distributed out. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing be lost. So they gathered up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten it. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet that is to come into the world. Perceiving that they were going to try to take him and force him to make him the king, Jesus withdrew again into the mountain. I just believe God has something really special for us today, so let's pray just to start off. God, I thank you for the opportunity to come and gather as a group of people that are just pursuing you and wanting to understand more and more about what this life looks like and being a disciple of you. Lord, I pray for Pastor Bob, uh, our lead pastor here who's down in Arizona, that you would just be with him as he ministers and that, Father, you would refresh him as he goes to refresh those who serve you. And Lord, I just feel a burden for Vancouver Church this morning, right down the road off 78, that, God, you would just fill that church with your peace, with your presence, that, Father, you would put an amazing word in the mouth of Pastor Chris Kainu, and that you would bless his staff, that, Father, they would grow, they would reach the lost, and that, Father, there would be a revival that takes place. And, Father, for us today, we just want to submit to whatever you want to do, Holy Spirit. We create room for you to do what you want to do. Let not a word come out of my mouth that does not start in you. We thank you, Jesus, and in your name we pray. Amen. So as we read this, we see that um, there's this picture, and I, I love reading the Bible. I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, my mind is like on imagination overload. So if I read a book, I remember I read this book when I was in grade school called The Hatchet. Anybody else read The Hatchet? You guys know what I'm talking about? That hatchet, that book, that hatchet, that book was like phenomenal for me. It changed me to actually like reading because I started reading it and I was like, this book is amazing because it came to life in my mind. I actually wanted to read. My mom was like, this is weird. And so I, I just wanted to read because as I read this book, the story was so captiva captivating for me that it came to my mind. It, it was just like, it became, and so for me, when I read the Bible, I try to do the same thing. If they're just words, it doesn't get my attention. I want it to come to life, and so I picture this thing in my mind as I'm reading this, that you have this huge crowd of 5,000 people, and you have this little boy with a basket with five loaves and two fish. And that's where we enter this, and, and the thing is that I love about it is that Jesus asked the question to Philip, but it said, John says he already knew what he was going to do. And so we see here that God knew that there was going to be a crowd of 5,000 people, and yet in the midst of that, he didn't send food, he sent a boy. And he sends a boy into the middle of this group of 5,000 people. 
And I believe and I want to suggest to you today that God does the same thing with you every day. That he sends you into the midst of the crowd because it's a group of hungry people and you carry what will satisfy them. You see, every morning we wake up and God presents us, God puts us in situations where just as the little boy walks into the crowd and Jesus knows that he's carrying exactly what the crowd needs. Every morning you wake up and, and God puts you in places that what you carry, the crowd around you desperately needs. But I, I think all too often for myself and, and for people that I've talked to, we can miss where God has us because we get focused on the wrong things. Now, I, I, I have either said these things or I've heard these said to me, and over and over again, we can see the situation around us, we can see the crowd around us, we can see the family that we live in, we can see the office that we work in, we can see the spouse that we're married to, the kids that we have, we can see the business that we own, we can see all these things from an outside perspective on how they impact us, and begin to say things like, I'm the only Christian in my office. You don't know the work environment I have. It's prejudice, it's sexist, it's, it's any of those things. You don't know my spouse, you don't know my family, you don't know my parents. You don't know the type of boss I have, you don't know the type of employees I have. And the thing is, is that none of us actually do know. I don't know what it's like to work in the office that you work in. I don't know what it's like to be married to the spouse that you have. I don't know what it's like to try to parent your kids. I don't know. Nobody else knows. But nobody else may understand, but God does. And God still chose to put you there. And because God chose to put you there, that means that there is purpose in your placement. Where you are placed, there is purpose for you. It's not about where, it's that you are there. That's it. So we don't have to doubt of like, am I in the right job? Am I like this? Am I in that? Am I married to the right spouse? Am I, am I dating the right person? Am I at the right school? Am I? If we're doubting it, that means we've now, we, we've basically said, God, you don't know what you're doing. And where I'm currently at, you've made a mistake. But if we say, you know what, I am here for whatever reason, and so God, I'm going to see myself as being placed, it changes the way we approach where we're at. Because we've removed the doubt. I'm supposed to be here. I'm here right now. I'm supposed to be married to you because I'm married to you. I've been placed in this marriage, and so therefore, this is going to work on me. God's going to work through me. I have the job that I have. I have the things that are going on around me that, that are supposed to in order for me because I think all too often in Western culture, we can think that this whole big spinning globe is about us. I think when I got married, I thought that marriage was for me. It was supposed to be, Deidre, you're supposed to make me feel wonderful and comfortable and you're supposed to work around my needs and this is what, this is, I got married for this. What's interesting is that God put Deidre in my life not to make me feel comfortable, 
but to make me look more like Jesus. You are at the job you are at, not so that you can be more comfortable, so that God can mold you to be more like Jesus. So we need to see that we are placed for a specific reason at a specific time because God wants you there. We have to stop looking at what's happening to us and we have to begin to go, God, what are you doing here? Pete Schrader taught me a great question to ask when, I, when I'm in confusion. Jesus, what are you doing? You know what that does? It stops me from thinking emotional because my emotions don't matter at that point. Because it's not about how I feel emotionally. It's not about what's taking place in the emotions of the other person. It's not about those things. It's about what God is doing. And the moment that we begin to step back and say, God, I want your perspective on the situation, clarity comes. Because all emotions are gone. And we begin to see our purpose in our placement, in our marriage, in our jobs, in our kids. We begin to see our purpose. And I think that as we look at it, we should be, as believers, we should be the least complaining people on the planet. We should be. We, we shouldn't grumble because while other people who, may, who, who don't believe in God, who don't have this trust, they can have confusion because they can't, they, they're not able to believe that there's this God in heaven who actually has this whole thing figured out and we get to trust in him. So when we can't see, we get to look up and go, God, I trust you so I don't have to complain. So we, sh we should be the least complaining people, the least grumbling, because when I can't see, I can still trust. And so it's not about my circumstances, it's about my, my, my trust that I'm where I'm supposed to be. Early in my marriage, um, I made a stupid decision that I decided that it would be good for me to compare my wife to other wives. Not verbally, just in my mind, just make that clear. I wouldn't be alive if I did that otherwise. But I would begin to, man, I wish my wife would function a little bit more this way, or I wish she would, she would respond to me a little bit more that way. And and as the years went by, I began to see that there was purpose in the way that she functioned compared to the way that other people function. About a year ago, I was down in California with another friend of mine, and he was talking about how um, in his group of friends, his buddies would be like, dude, your wife's so awesome. She lets you do this, and she lets you do that. And he was kind of going on and on about, oh, look at my, 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 what my wife lets me do and how the guys. And I go, yeah, that just wouldn't work for me. And he's... It was almost like the first time he had ever heard somebody not give him props for the type of wife he had. I say, that wouldn't work for me, man. That actually would be destruction for me because of the way I'm wired. I need what I have. I know that I am placed in my marriage, not for my comfort, but because I need exactly what she has. She carries what I need, and I carry what she needs. And there is no comparison there is no, I wish she was, no, I need that. And what takes place is when we begin to see that we're placed for a reason for the people around us, we begin to see God's purpose in the manner, or in the matter, not our emotional feeling. And so we, we can begin to trust because when it comes down to it, you're placed on purpose because you carry what the crowd needs. 
God sends you just like that little boy with a basket of lunch. He sends you into offices. He sends you into schools. He sends you into marriages and into parenting with exactly what they need. In the story, I don't think the little boy woke up bragging that morning going, you should see what Jesus is going to do with my lunch today. (laughs) It's going to be amazing. No. He didn't know. He just had a lunch, went about his day, and Jesus used it in a miraculous way. If there's one truth that you walk out of here today, I want it to be this. You carry the makings of a miracle. Just like that little boy, you carry the makings of a miracle. When we wake up in the morning, we have our words, we have our thoughts, we have our actions, we have our money, our resources, our relationships. We have a lot of things that we carry with us. All of those are the makings of a miracle. Now, we discount these things because in a lot of times we look at what we feel is needed for the miraculous. And what we offer falls very short to what we think is needed. Here's a little bit of truth. It's supposed to. It's supposed to. It's supposed to fall way short. Because if it was just what you carry equals a miracle, where's God? But when you see, when you take what you have and you begin to look at it as if God can do something with it, all of a sudden the value of what you carry is not based off of what it currently is, It's based off of the the potential when it's placed in the hands of Jesus. Now all bets are off because the equation never has to make sense. It's not supposed to. It's not supposed to make sense. It's supposed to look like this. Hey, guys, um, I'm going to feed you guys lunch today. Um, Cool. Casey, can you bring up the Jimmy John sandwich and the one bag of chips? Cool. All right, guys, go ahead and just sit down in groups. We'll get you guys taken care of in just a minute. That's what it's supposed to look like. Because everybody's supposed to see where there was lack and then where there's more than enough. And the difference is God. So we can't discount what we bring to the table because it's not enough. That actually means that you have the makings. Because then God goes, (laughs) that's faith. You're going to break up a Jimmy John sandwich and think you're going to feed 500 people? Fantastic. I can do something. I can get glory here. Watch this. I'm going to blow your mind. And so God wants to do that. And What's crazy is I knew I, I wanted to speak on this whole thing of that we're positioned, we're placed. There's, there's this thing that, that God has us right where he wants us to. And I didn't know exactly what story or what scripture God wanted to bring alive to me in order to make that kind of like sink down. And two weeks ago, my, my five-year-old daughter, Daphne, brings me a book, and she hands it to him, and he's like, Dad, can you read this for me? And I was like, sure. So she gets up on my lap, and it's actually this book, or this story, just in a book form. Now, with some creative liberties added in in order to get more like than 20, you know, 20 words. 
And it has him going out in the morning, and he's fishing, catches the two fish, brings them home. He's like, Mom, can you cook these for me? So the mom cooks them. It shows her cooking the fish. And then he, he sees this big crowd of people, and he's like, Mom, there's this guy, Jesus. I want to go see what it's all about. She goes, oh, hey, here's a lunch. He has this basket, puts five loaves in it and two fish. And it has this picture of him walking towards the crowd. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, he had no idea he was carrying the makings of a miracle. I stopped reading and I'm like, that's pretty profound. Yeah. And I'm trying to have this spiritual moment and my daughter looks up at me. She's like, why'd you stop? Like, I'm trying to be heard from God. Leave me alone. <laughs> so I kept reading the book. But I said, Holy Spirit, never let me forget that. Now, I did some addition because Philip says not 200 denarii would actually pay for enough. And so I did some math. A denarii is uh, the equivalent for a day's wage. So if you worked eight hours at minimum wage, 947, um, and then you multiply that by 200, it's over $15,000. And so if you think about that if today, what it cost, and it said that it wouldn't even give enough for each person to have a little bit, what is God able to do with so little and provide more than enough? What areas in, in our lives, in your life, in my life, are we limiting what we believe God can do because we don't offer him the little because we discount it because we don't think it's enough to fulfill? What relationships in, in your life, do we, are, they, are there maybe conflicts and we don't believe that God can restore it? What marriages where the wheels might be coming off but we're not willing to, to jump over the line and say, you know what? I'll ask for forgiveness first, and I'm going to be the first one to start a kind word because we don't believe that our initial act is God can use that to be great enough to fix the divide that has come. What kids might have walked away from God that parents are, are trying to get them back and believing that that first initial response or that first prayer? What, what about when you're in the office? And it's that small prayer of the woman next to you or the man next to you that has a, a runny nose or a headache or you can feel that they're hurting or they come in with, with crutches. What about that small prayer of just saying, hey, can I pray for you? I believe in this God that, that loves to heal people and can I pray for you? See, God wants to take that small act of faith, that small mustard seed, and he wants to grow it and he wants to meet the difference. What's interesting is that it didn't, it didn't say that everything was eaten. It said that they picked up 12 basketfuls that were left over. Also, the boy who gave up his lunch with no promise that he would get anything back, I'm sure he ate. Which I think sometimes I hold back from giving to God because I'm afraid I'm not going to be provided for. I don't want to give because I'm afraid of what the lack will be when it's gone. I believe all too often when we give, God actually pours out more back to us and it splashes on everybody else around us. I think there were 12 baskets. 
so that each disciple had to carry that basket <laughs> knowing, oh yeah, God can do anything. Okay, cool. Not going to ask that question again. So, have you ever noticed, like, it's the worst when Jesus asks you a question? Like, have you ever noticed that? It's terrible when he's like, what do you say I am? Um, anybody else want to answer first? Like, anybody else? Okay, I guess that's me. All right, like, that's just, it's fun. He's fun like that. But I think we've got to make sure that we don't discount our words, discount our actions, discount what we bring to the table because God wants to take those and multiply it, and he actually wants to, he wants to make up the difference and then some for that thing. Because you carry the makings of a miracle. You have to know that you are placed in that situation because God knows what you carry. He knows your temperament. He knows your attitude. He knows the way that you handle yourself. And he wants to use that to impact the crowd around you that he places you right in the middle of. What if we started seeing everything that we have, not from its current value, but for its potential value in the hands of Jesus? What you are carrying is enough for the miraculous. Can't get over that. However, there's a tangent. I'm going to get on a little bit of a soapbox. Get on soapbox because I didn't go. People, when I, they hear that I'm a pastor, they're like, oh, did you go to school for that? No. No. I never wanted to be a pastor. This was not my goal in life. I'm a pastor because God told me to say yes, not because this was something that I grew up from the youngest age wanting to do. When I grew up... Um, after I got out of high school, went to college, got out of college, was in the mortgage industry. After the mortgage industry, worked in the financial industry as a registered investment advisor. Um, I worked for a company as an investment counselor, and I, I loved my job. I loved who I got to work with. I loved the people around me. I loved the salary and the quarterly bonus. Like, there was a lot of things that I loved about it, but this, this was not what I looked forward to every day. Of, of, I didn't dream, like, one day I'm going to be a pastor. But what's interesting is that the moment I became a pastor, there was people that, that worked 40 hours a week or plus outside of the church that began to talk to me and would say like, oh man, I would love to be in full-time ministry. And it broke me because the thing is, is that we're all in full-time ministry. There's not one of us in this room that's part-time. Every single one of us is in full-time ministry. You are placed at the job you're placed at because I can't get in there. And people are like, oh, if we can get a pastor in here. There is you. You are the pastor, the evangelist, the prophet, the teacher. You're everything. You're the five-fold ministry all like mixed up into one. And God goes, go in the middle of the crowd. You're the little boy in the middle of the 5,000. I think it would be very different if you look in the book of Acts in chapter 6. There's this man named Stephen, and they talk about this guy, and and the, the disciples say, hey, we shouldn't give up preaching and studying the word and praying so that we can serve tables. And they say, hey, go and find men, seven, that can go and and basically take care of the poor, take care of the widows, take care of the orphans. 
You know the qualifications? They had to be of good report, full of the Holy Spirit, and of wisdom. And what were they going to be doing? Serving tables. What would change in the way that we function in life and how God would do the miraculous in us if as we were serving tables, as if we were parking cars, as if we were looking at our Excel spreadsheet for the 10,000th time, if we looked at our everyday job and saying, you know what, in order to do this job, I need to be full of the Holy Spirit. I need to be of good repute. I need to be full of wisdom, and this is what I'm stepping into. It says they laid hands on them and released them. We need to lay hands and release the people that are not working in the church, but are also working outside of the church because you're doing full-time ministry. This is not just about what takes place here. It's actually more about what takes place out there. This is, this is for us to, give, to have celebration, to be built up, excited. We can do this. But then the next day on Monday morning, you feed yourself in the morning, God, we're going to do this. And you wake up anointed, just as anointed as a pastor. And you go to your job, you be a mom to your kids or a dad to your kids, a husband and a wife to your spouse in the most anointed, amazing way. And you carry the makings of a miracle and people go, I knew your marriage was like this, but now it's like that. What's the difference? It was God. I knew that you used to do your job like this, but now you do it like that. What's the difference? God. Hey, business owner, why did you make that decision? We could have cut a little corner and saved money. I can't. God, next month, huge increase. What's the difference? They're able to connect the dots and go, you know what? When you do things God's way, God shows up. And it's not just those who are outside of the home. I love the story of JL in Judges 4. Mom, chilling at home. There's a war going on. What does God do? God brings the war to her. You want to know how many moms save marriages and houses? By cheering, encouraging, praying for going to battle with other moms, praying for other marriages. And, 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 and basically God sends, sends uh, the king, I can't think of his name right now, and he sends him in, and he's basically like, hey, let me come in. And she's like, yeah, come on in, cool. Um, hey, here's this rug. Go ahead and just hide under the rug a little bit, and then uh, I'm going to give you some milk so you fall asleep, and then don't worry about it. I'm just going to drive a stake through your head. But that's a mom at home, and God brings the war to her. And all she had to do, she already had the makings of a miracle. She had just had to take what she had and who she was and let God do the rest. We've got to realize that in our everyday life, God is going to do the most profound, amazing things when we hand him and put our little in the hands of a big God, the miraculous can be the outcome. Amen. Have the, the worship team come on up. I'm sure some of you are wondering what these are here for. I'm not going to put them on. Uh, those are actually the, the shoes that I played in my, my last college soccer game in. We lost to a team that will remain nameless because I hate them to this day. <laughs> in the regional semifinals down in California, two to one. And so they're a reminder of that. They're also a reminder of one of my greatest failures in my entire life. So I was a sophomore at Seattle Pacific University. I was a redshirt 
redshirt freshman, and so therefore, my, going into my junior year, I still had three years of eligibility. I had a full ride. I had a girlfriend. I had a car. had an apartment. had a job. And I was going to be the star starting goalkeeper for a team that had constantly contended for national championships. I had everything set up. And then God went and screwed it up. I was doing, uh, I was working soccer camps at this other school, University of Puget Sound, and uh, I was doing the, um, this devotional called Experiencing God. And in chapter 11, it was either 11 or 12, it asks you this question that if God asked you to do anything, would you say Yes. Now, you don't want to say no. I mean, you're doing a devotional. So you say yes. And uh, so I said, yeah, God, I'll do whatever you want. So I prayed that prayer. I said, God, I'm willing to do whatever you ask me to do. Now, this is two weeks before season was supposed to start. God said, um, I want you to transfer to University of Puget Sound to a school that's D3, to a school that you'll have to take out student loans instead of getting a full ride, to a school that your girlfriend will not be at, that you don't have a job at, that you will actually have to wait another two years to be the starter because there's an all-American goalkeeper here. That's what I want you to do. And I said, (laughs) you just playing and testing me. I'll put in my application, but there's no way it's going through before the season starts. I turned it in on Wednesday at 4 o'clock. Friday at 8.30, my phone rang. Admissions office. Hey, we've got your financial aid package, your schedule. We've got everything ready to go. We just need you to come down and sign it. Less than 48 hours. I said, all right, God, I'll do it. So I get my release from my coach at Seattle Pacific, go to, SP, or go to UPS. And I was the only Christian on the team, and so they'd ask me to pray before games, and it was a, a liberal arts school. And so we had a dry season, which meant no drugs, no alcohol, um, no tobacco of any side. It was completely just bought in for the, the season. But after the season, it was a different story. And throughout the season, it was really easy to be a Christian. But after the season, I didn't look any different. Any influence that I had built up about who God was and what I believed in was gone the first night at the first party because I was chugging the alcohol I was chasing the girls I was doing everything they were doing and I looked no different and years later as I look back on it after I've actually fully given my life to God and let him have everything I realized that God had placed me at University of Puget Sound in the midst of a crowd that needed exactly what I was carrying. And I decided that it wasn't worth it. I walk with a regret, not not that, that stops me, but actually propels me that I never want to have another reminder in my life that there is an area that I did not completely give to God and realize that I was placed there. I am placed in my marriage. I am placed 
with my kids. I am placed in my job. I am placed in my extended family. I am placed in my friends. I am placed, and when I see those things in that light, I believe that what I carry and what I bring to the table has the makings for the miracle in the lives of those around me. And no longer will I have examples of the, the regrets, but I'll have relationships and the miracles of the things that have taken place around me that remind me not of what I didn't do, but what of God did. And I begin to go, this life is amazing because I realize that I'm placed. I carry the makings of a miracle and that when I handle my little and I give it to a big God, he does the rest. The equation's not supposed to make sense so that God can get the glory.